Hey everybody, welcome back to Next Level Skiing. My name is Jason Blevins and today we have Doug Stenslick. Doug opened Cripple Creek Backcountry Shop in Carbondale in 2012 with an idea that uphill skiing was about to explode. And it did. And now Doug has three shops in Colorado and an online site that ranks as the top seller of all backcountry and ski touring equipment. Now, Doug has a unique vision of, of backcountry travel in that uh, he, this, he has this distinct belief that you don't have to risk life and limb to go backcountry skiing, especially when we're just learning this new sport. His take is that backcountry skiing done right can be just as safe as skiing at a resort. It's all about making the right decisions early. And that's pretty good news as we head into what will certainly be an atypical ski season. We don't quite know how this is going to look, but we have a good idea that it's not going to be normal. So safe to assume that we're going to see more people heading into the backcountry, maybe climbing at resorts and skiing uphill and touring. Doug saw sales at his Cripple Creek shops and website explode after the pandemic settled on Colorado in mid-March, really the whole world. And sort of, I think that provides a bit of a clue as to what we can expect for the coming season. But listen in as uh, Doug riffs on the kind of out-of-order alignment in backcountry skiing and avalanche education and how resorts embracing uphill are kind of fostering the backcountry movement, how resort skiing can help your backcountry turns and really the right ski for the right day. Thanks so much for listening in. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Blevins. Welcome back to Next Level Skiing. Today, we have... Doug Stenslick, the boss at Cripple Creek Backcountry. Doug started Cripple Creek Backcountry back in what, 2012, right? Yeah, 2012. And started the, took over the Colorado Ski Mountaineering Race Cup and was really just sort of a pioneer and a leader on uh, sort of bringing backcountry to the masses and showing us a way to uh, have fun on the uphill and maybe in a different way. Doug, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us how you kind of came around to opening Cripple Creek back in 2012. Yeah, so yeah, my name's Doug and I'm based over here in Carbondale, Colorado, where we uh, first opened Cripple Creek Backcountry. You know, I moved up to the mountains, you know, maybe back in 2007 and I was looking for a little more sustainable way to exist up here. So I moved around for a bit, was a ski tour back then, went back east uh, working for a great company, the Outdoor Gear Exchange in Vermont. And then I moved out to Portland, Oregon, working for the Oregon mountain community. And, uh, it was, it was early in the, you know, explosion of the uphill movement. Definitely more people were into it in Vermont. The tele skier was, was still huge, uh, back then. <laughs> and then, uh, so were like the marker Dukes and, you know, the, the, just the burgeoning development in, in the ski touring gear. So, uh, sure. Yeah, you, well, were able every, to, you were able to kind of catch that that wave for sure around 2012. It seems that that's when things really kind of started to blossom in terms of some of the technological advancements, right? Right. And, and you know, the Dinafit binding had actually been around for, I mean, at this point, over 40 years, but even, even back then, 30 plus years. But there wasn't a huge following in the U.S. yet. You had to really be in the know and or have a very patient friend to teach you. But it, just from getting on it myself, I, I realized that, you know, the holdouts for the other modes of going uphill were definitely going to lose. And, and Dinafit and 
then the explosion of other tech bindings were going to kind of reign supreme. So, uh, yeah, I had a few years of like preaching the gospel there, but um, it took a little while to for the mass to take off enough to have a business. And my friends in the outdoor industry at the time were were very against a lightweight ski touring specific store in, in 2012. It seemed a little early, but sometimes you got to be a little early to catch the wave. And now you're, aren't you the nation's leading purveyor of backcountry equipment right now? We'd like to think so. Uh, certainly in terms of like specialty, like brick and mortar, you know, there's some some big gorillas on the on the web side of things that, that definitely sling a lot of gear. But, you know, it's it's all we really do all year long is think skiing, ski touring, and splitboarding. Nice. Well, we're going to have a pretty roaming conversation here. We're going to talk about what you saw at the end of last season, what you might see coming into this next season, which we can all pretty much agree will not look like a normal ski season. But first, Doug, I want you to riff a little bit. I, I love this perspective. You have a great perspective on backcountry travel that's maybe a little different than what we might think reading, you know, newspaper accounts of avalanches and looking through magazines and, and the videos. You have a thinking that pretty safe way to play in the woods, almost risk-free in some ways, right? Yeah, you know, I, obviously people get into all sorts of trouble on, you know, resort-controlled days. You know, you can always kiss a tree or kiss a pole and that's not going to go well. But in terms of like the avalanche danger, which is the big focus of the backcountry as we know, and I think it's kind of talked about out of order a little bit. And it's like you buy a ski touring setup, and the only way for a long time we had to push people was to sign up for an airy, you know, an avalanche course to to get their certification and to learn how to travel in what can be a pretty deadly environment. And, you know, we've been trying to spin that conversation that like, you know, the first thing you do when you get a ski touring setup or a splitboard setup is you, you know, learn how to use it and you have fun and you don't start calculating how to risk your life. You know, that can come later sure. on, but certainly shouldn't be sold with the sport. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, as I've, you know, had a lot of friends, you know, get into trouble over the years and certainly myself get into trouble. I, uh, I've oscillated back and forth on it quite a bit because uh, it can be quite dangerous. And, you know, when I was losing sleep at night being like, who are these new people who are equipping to go into the mountains? And I realized that, yeah, if you're going straight towards, you know, 40 degree winter slopes filled with powder, you're going to get into a lot of trouble, which like you said, is what the magazines and the movies certainly show us uh there's a whole another recreational side of the sport that's incredibly fun and sometimes i find you know 25 degree bladed tree skiing to be the most fun because you never have to have that <laughs> that talk with yourself about what you're doing for the day sure and you know resort uphill policies and resorts sort of relaxing policies allowing folks to travel uphill has enabled that in some ways. You know, it's a pretty safe way to get sort of the technical skills before you maybe have to start thinking about, you know, consequences of, of big decisions, right? Yeah, exactly. He, the last thing you want to be doing within those decisions is learning how 
to make a kick turn or, or use your gear for the first time. So luckily for us in, in Colorado here, we're, we're incredibly lucky. And every little pocket of, of, of uphillers or ski tours in the, in the state that I've met thinks it's like pretty unique to their mountain. But we're pretty lucky across the board from, you know, Vail and Beaver Creek over where you live. Uh, you know, we have a location over there to the Aspen Valley is super friendly. But, you know, even up to Steamboat and, and, and all over uh, the state, really. In other parts of the country, it, it's coming along. I get a lot of like messages on how do you how do you start that conversation with your local mountain? There's a lot of great small mom and pop mountains still out there, and ski touring's not really on their radar yet. But it's up to you know the people that are invested in the sport to kind of have that conversation. Sure, and you know we're we're seeing resorts in Colorado at least really embrace it, and that is like you said spreading elsewhere. But it's kind of hard for you know a mom and pop because there's not a lot of return on investment for allowing people to go uphill they're technically not buying lift tickets so they're maybe not uh not contributing to the bottom line like like a lift rider but at the same time what we're seeing in colorado that i think is so interesting is uh resorts really building events and building kind of uh you know uh dinners up on top of a basin and you know kind of uh operate ski party things and before the lifts turn party things so I think Colorado's will be able to show in a lot of ways, um, you know, how you can monetize some of this uphill traffic. Well, I'm a, a pretty good example of it myself where I was back in, in college, I was done. I'm clearly not going a career path where I was going to be able to afford skiing for some time. And, and I, I just decided I was kind of done with, you know, paying at the time was probably, you know, just over a hundred dollars a day for skiing and now over 200 in some places and i was like well that's it i'm never buying a pass ever again and that's probably the end of skiing for me and that was right at the time where where i found out ski touring existed and you could just at the time walk uphill in snowshoes before i even had uh, touring equipment and it kind of opened my eyes to this whole different way to travel in the mountains of course then taking a few years off live skiing I realized to kind of take it to the places in the world and the peaks I wanted to ski, I would need to do more than just climb up and get one run down. I was actually going to have to start riding chairlifts again to, to uh, you know, enable myself to, to get into the bigger mountains and, you know, learn to ski a little bit more technically sound. And I think, uh, you know, some of the more forward thinking resorts, even, even Vail, which is, you know, the biggest conglomerate in the country that's fully how they see ski touring now is it keeps people peripherally involved in a sport that they might have lost and anybody you know that lives for skiing is definitely a friend of avail and you know sure. ski co over here in aspen and the bigger companies so hopefully uh the smaller mountains will start to see that too at next level skiing we were sort of aiming at uh we're asking folks to help us improve our skiing, really, you know, take us up to the next level. When you made that transition, when you were out in the, you know, skiing some big peaks and you said, wow, I have to return to resort skiing to pick up some skills. What were some of those skills? Like what, what, what's a skill that we can practice lift riding that is going to enable us to, you know, be, be better when we maybe take a long tour? Yeah. So my favorite thing to do at the resort is, Instead of rushing with everybody on a powder day to find the best snow, I love when the mountain's good and skied in 
and there's no powder left to be had. And then going out of your way to find the worst snow possible. Because again, just like nobody says this about <laughs> you know ski touring, that uh, that there's a fun and safe way not skiing in Alaska and spine to do it. Uh, people also don't tell you that you encounter a lot of terrible, terrible conditions in snow, uh, especially in the ski mountaineering aspect. So yeah, you can go find a really steep slope that has a nice gentle run out. Uh, you're certainly not risking your life on that in a controlled environment. And just practice making that first committing jump turn because the, the more you practice that and the more you can squeeze in maybe like, you know, 20 jump turns, even on a small slope like that, the less hesitation uh, you'll have in the big mountains. Yeah, sure. And that is the sort of the dirty little secret of backcountry skiing is that it's rarely always good. <laughs> yeah. From what I found out, you can find five or six different types of snow and conditions on a single run, and especially in Colorado, at least. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, find find the worst snow. I love that. That's a good tip. Right. Um, so if you're uh, if you're always trying to ski at the resort for the best days, you know, it, it really elevates those those other days where you used to just kind of be bummed and try to learn those as use those as a real learning experience, because there's there's certainly plenty of those as well. Yeah, sure. And that's definitely, you know, you can definitely tell the resort skiers when they're in the backcountry versus the pure backcountry skiers. There's there's a certain flow and fluidity with someone who's, you know, logged many hours on chairlifts just like there's a certain strength with a person who's logged many hours skinning uphill right right so hey, i want to talk a little bit um sort of the gorilla in the room right now um everyone's wondering what this upcoming season is going to look like and i think we got a little glimpse of it in my mind at least i think we got a glimpse of what next season is going to look like by the last two weeks in march um why don't you Tell us uh, what you saw there on uh, sort of the last two, three weeks of March as resorts um, quickly pulled the plug. Well, it was a roller coaster in our tiny little niche of skiing, just like it is for most all businesses across the country and now the world. <laughs> the middle of March was pretty stressful. Uh, we were seeing, you know, a lot of bookings canceled, a lot of tickets canceled to come out to, uh, to Colorado to ski and, and general traffic dropping way down. And certainly the, the slowest week we've ever had right around spring break. <laughs> so I was kind of obsessing about it. In the end, there's, there's not that much you can do in those situations except ride it out. And I decided to take like a very secret and stealthy, quick uh, bike trip to, to the desert just to you know, decompress on wine and try to come up with a good plan. I just needed to take a full break from skiing just for, just for a weekend. And that was when my phone blew up on Sunday. I was down stuck in a wash where it had rained a lot. And I didn't think my van was going to be able to make it back out. So the mud dried. And I got a call from all three shops at once being like, when can you come in? We're overloaded right here. Oh, and wow. what had happened in the night is Governor Polis had closed every, you know, Vail had just announced they were closing. As far as we thought, uh, Aspen resorts were going to stay open. And Polis made the executive decision to just stop lift skiing in the state all at once. And, you know, there are many people out here as second homeowners or people on vacation that were now 
in Colorado to ski with no way to ski. And it was a mad, a mad rush to, to extend the ski season a little bit longer. Yeah. I just sat in on, uh, uh, the NPD retail group, um, sort of summary of, uh, the, the year so far in outdoor retail sales. And one of the, uh, one of the quips from the retail analyst was that you couldn't find a pair of skins in the United States in that third week of March if, uh, for a million dollars, they were just completely, <laughs> every shelf was bare, you know, not that, you know, no one wants to say they, they were profiteering on a pandemic, but you know, across Colorado, I wrote a story. It was, you know, across really the West, every shop that was selling uphill ski equipment was cleaned out. A pretty, pretty impressive little surge for your business, huh? Yeah, that was good. I would say, you know, we were the one exception to that. And I, I think you quoted me in there that, that we, have, we have been kind of planning for the day when the lifts would stop spinning. We were always hoping it'd be under a bit of better terms, but you know, we, we had a big warehouse full of skins and skis and, you know, we're able to, them for the most part, keep going. Of course, you know, it was exciting for 10, 10 days there when people could keep skiing. And then there was a big social movement to stop all skiing. A lot of the trailheads with accessibility in, in the front range and other places just were closed down. And, uh, and it kind of came to a grinding halt there like it did for everyone else. And, and the strange part for us is, you know, that end of March to April where there was, there was no skiing going on, that's the end of the season. When we come back to it in May, you know, people have, have kind of moved on to biking. So, you know, it was this big spike we saw. And now we've been in this many month holding pattern to see if that picks up where it left off once, uh, you know, the nights start getting colder. Hey everyone, this is Jason with Next Level Skiing. Hey, so many skis out there, and really none of them suck. You just can't make bad skis and stay in business these days. But it could take years to find that perfect ride. Hours flipping through the blister gear reviews, all those demos, repeat visits to the rental shop, wasted days or even arduous season on disagreeable skis. That's where Pete Wagner and his custom-made Wagner skis can help. Wagner and his team have developed a thorough process for finding your perfect ski. They call it skier DNA fitting. Even if you aren't sure what it is you like and dislike, an expert ski designer with Wagner can help you articulate your perfect ski. The right length, width, side cut radius, tip and tail shape, camber, rocker, material, stiffness, flex pattern, and of course graphics. Fully guaranteed, sculpted just for you, and precision crafted in Telluride, Colorado. I got my first pair of Wagner skis a year ago, and I'm here to tell you, believe the hype around a custom ride. Just the right stiffness in a not-too-rounded tail, just enough softness in that ready-to-float tip, perfect length and a touch of side cut that bites hard when angled through the mank. It is my perfect ski. It takes about three weeks from that first interview to the happiest, happiest of days when the Wagner box lands on your porch. Seriously, is there any better day than a new ski day? So click over to wagnerskis.com slash next level and find your next level with a pair of just for you Wagner skis. In my mind, I see this season not happening the way that it normally happens. You know, what does that mean? Are we going to try Rappo Basin style and have 
reservation system to where you, you know, book your slots to go skiing. You have to make them a week in advance. Like it's, it, we're going to have, it's going to be a different looking season. I just don't imagine we're going to be seeing 25,000 skier Saturdays at Vail like we normally do. So to me, I see more interest in my mind. I'm thinking, wow, everyone's going to be skinning where they're going to be skinning, figure that one out. But, um, do you get a sense? Is there any sense on your end that, uh, you know, this upcoming season might, might even further turbocharge the backcountry uphill movement? Yeah. You know, there was a ton of interest going in, you know, this, this spike that happened around, uh, the lockdown was not, you know, it was much bigger than, than anybody anticipated, but the steady growth of, of this, you know, little niche was, it has been going on for some time. And what we saw was a lot of people that might've already been moving away from wanting to wait in that hour lift line on a Saturday to, you know, finding another way to have fun in the mountains. At least if, if we follow the progress of the summer, a lot of gyms closed or people just didn't feel comfortable. They didn't want to go in, into a gym and sweat next to another, another bunch of people if they could avoid it. So we've seen a lot of people taking to trail running and biking, and it's the same human-powered exercise and outdoor adventure that we're going to be seeing in the spring. So I do think a lot of people have been meaning to try this sport out for years. And, you know, when the lift skiing's good, they never quite get around to it. And I do think we're going to see you know, definitely a lot of interest that direction. Yeah. Um, you know, again, listening to that NPD group presentation, those analysts were talking about a, a huge boom in home gym equipment, you know, whether it's the stationary bikes, the Peloton bikes, those things, lots of people buying that sort of things for their home to work out in and how that maybe didn't bode well for gyms. Um, someone made a big investment, say this spring and, you know, home gym equipment, they might pass on the uh, gym membership for the fall. But, you know, carrying that to sort of the next step there, it seems to make sense that people would be like, hey, you know, we're going to have to find a way to get out on snow ourselves. So I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to see uh, more growth. Uh, it just seems everything seems to be indicating that we're going to be doing it on our own. <laughs> right. And, and that is the exercise angle is a good one because if you're trying ski touring for the first time as a better way to ski, that's also kind of uh, <laughs> hyped up a bit by the movies and the magazines because <laughs> when you're learning, you don't get to do a whole lot of skiing. You know, you might get one 2,000 foot run a day until you can build up some muscles. So it really is a better way to hike in the winter. And a better way to, to be outside than, than post-soling through the snow. The, the skiing comes with, with quite a bit of training and preparation. Sure. It's just, it's much better than hiking downhill. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and now at this time in the summer, you know, when I'm, I'm getting out hiking and, and running a little more than, than I ever have in the past, and I get the same thrill at the top of the mountain, and I kind of forget where I am or what I'm doing. And then I realized I have a long way to go back to the car. You know, even on some of the, like the very peaks that I've I've skied yeah. down and, and been back at the car in ten minutes. Yeah, there's literally nothing like moving downhill on snow. It certainly replaces the uh, the arduous hike down, especially if you're carrying a pack. Yeah, I I would have to say that your business is going to bode well if the summer indication is anything. You know, they 
again, a story today in the New York Times, you just can't find a bicycle anywhere. The bikes are like the hottest thing around. People are liking this sort of self-powered, lonely movement through uh, through space. Maybe this thing's going to linger for a bit, then uh, it seems like backcountry ski equipment should be high on everyone's desire list, Santa list for Christmas, maybe. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely looking good. And if, you know, say, say you do have someone kind of coming in for the first time, it's one of the challenges with the online purchasing is that you can you know, maybe not get yourself the right equipment. What, what would you recommend someone looks for when they're coming in and they just want to, they want to get into it. They obviously they want to, you know, if there's powder, they want to ski that well, but at the same time, they don't want to work to, you know, kill themselves on the uphill. Is there, is there like a, intro level kit that you guys sell or, or what would be your advice to someone who kind of is just wanting to explore this uphill world? So we've been pretty lucky because we are kind of, as I said, in a lot of ways prepping for this. So what we kind of did a big shift to is appointment-based like consultations like a long time ago. And uh, it, it turns out now we're even holding appointments with people that live right here in our in our town uh, just right. for to ship them gear or, or to just get them set up online. So I do think, uh, you know, we, as well as many other companies have had good success getting people in the right gear. Uh, it just takes a whole conversation. Cause if you can believe it, I talk about this one small niche, but the niche is, is broad for the type of gear, you know, uh, Wagner skis, for instance, make some like big hard charging skis, which would be great for skiing powder. Uh, and then other companies make some really light, light skis that are, are all about the uphill and you have the whole range in between. So it's a tough decision uh, in the beginning. Do you want to get one setup that will, that will prepare you to do everything okay? Or, you know, do you mess with the extremes of that range? And that's something to be considered. And w what I would tell anybody getting into it is you will end up going lighter. <laughs> so at, at first, that's skiability because you're a skier and it's time to go uphill now. But I want something that's going to ski down. That's where we see everybody start on that end of the spectrum. Uh, I would just say know that you're going to move to lighter and maybe, you know, kind of kind of uh, pare yourself down. Uh, if you're between two things like... Uh, uh, heavy boot and a medium weight boot go with the medium weight boot on the first the first try and uh you won't regret it yeah exactly and you know especially if you're not going to be chris davenporting off 14ers or anything and you're just basically gonna be skiing skiing snowfields you know gentle snowfields light is right right yeah 90 percent of the time at least you're you're going up the mountain so get something good and comfortable for doing that i know Last season, we interviewed a fellow who was telling us that when you're when you're at a resort, don't be when you're buying a resort setup, don't be swayed by the light skis because the light ski and you know hammering bumps all day will wear your legs out like you can't imagine. Yeah, we actually took a, a pivot on that in in the beginning when we first opened, we kind of sold this equipment as something you can do both with. More and more, I feel if you're going to buy a setup for resort skiing, it should be a resort setup. You should buy a setup for touring, make it a touring setup and work on those different ends. 
I'd say that rule doesn't apply to, uh, you know, someone that, you know, maybe this year you didn't get the season pass and you bought, you know, a six pack of lift tickets. If you're only going to ski six days in bounds and you want to ski powder, you probably can get a touring setup that's going to really equip you well for those occasional resort days when you're mostly going uphill. But yeah, if you're still someone that skis, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 days in bounds, then uh, <laughs> don't don't go too light because yeah, exactly. It, it, it just doesn't last as long as, as the big heavy metal top sheeted skis. Yeah, and it just saves your legs. I mean, yeah. you know, it's the way to do it. It's um, that's interesting. Yeah, because you know, for a while there, I felt like for when this whole started, you know, when the uphill movement was coming around, it, I felt like I read a lot of pitches to find that one ski quiver, you know, and the Dinafit bindings will work, and this boot will work great at the resort, and this ski is a great resort ski, and it'll be great for the uphill. I feel like now we're moving back to a realization that, you know, you really should separate the two disciplines and you don't necessarily, you know, you don't take your road bike on a mountain bike ride and you don't take your mountain bike on a road ride. So. Right. And it's interesting because my bike, my COVID bike rush purchase was for a gravel bike this year. Nice. Uh, and now that's becoming like the thing where people get these drop bar gravel bikes with big fat tires because it kind of can do everything. You know, you wouldn't want to go down a real chunky trail on it. And you certainly aren't going to go for, you know, a road ride in a Peloton on it. <laughs> but at, at the same time, there is a bike out there. And I think we see these patterns in the industry that is, <laughs> it really comes in ebbs and flows. And right now we're certainly moving towards having the right equipment for that use. I'm sure in another five years, it's going to swing back and people start trying to sell that that one ski quiver again but yeah right now we're certainly on working on the fringes of skiing to be prepared sure yeah and i think it's smart to you're going to be happier if you just have separate equipment but at the same time you know do you want to have to go out there and tell everyone that they need four bikes and five skis and you know that then we just start to get into a weird spot to where you have to be just ridiculously rich to do these things so yeah I think it's smart to, to you're going to enjoy yourself better if you have an uphill setup, right? And you're not using, I mean, geez, when I started, I had secure fix on regular old GS boards. Whew. Yeah, it, that's, you know, we have a podcast too uh, called Totally Deep. And we've been doing that for seven years now. And it's one of my most common asked first question is what was your first setup you were on? And everybody it's been touring for more than 10 years, has a bit of a horror story of where that started, which is why I was just saying era light, because my first setup was, you know, a pair of Naxo bindings that I think were only made for a year or two, but it was like a, as heavy as a Duke, but broke a lot easier. Oh, yeah. And it <laughs> kept you a good like eight to 10 inches above the snow when you're skinning. It's like you're yeah. teetering on some sort of platform shoe or something. Right, and uh, and using a full alpine boot with no oh, yeah. no hinging walk mode at all, and and if you can avoid yourself a little of that heartache, you don't have to spend a million dollars to do it. You know, just just pick a a good comfortable boot that that's got a solid walk mode and and start heading uphill. Exactly. Yeah, boy, it's amazing that we stuck with it. Sometimes when I look at the way we learned to mountain bike and kayak and uphill <laughs> backcountry tour back in the day. 
Yeah, I certainly teetered on on the verge of tears my first few times out. And I think about how much different <laughs> my life would have gone if I would have just, you know, threw those things in the garbage and went all the way back to riding lifts. Uh, that's funny. So one thing we like to ask everybody on the show is the, about a piece of advice that they have that they still remember when they're skiing. Uh, you know, it could be something, uh, you know, we've heard from you know, pro skiers who have a sort of a mental mantra to keep themselves sharp and in the game. We've heard from, uh, you know, technical skiers who are, you know, have advice, you know, with shin to win, put your shins in front of the boot, all sorts of good advice. Is there, is there anything that resonates in your head that you've been telling yourself for, you know, your entire career on skis that you still say to yourself when you're out on the hill? Well, <laughs> to keep it specific, uh, you know, it's my zone again. It's, it's enjoy the, the whole day, uh, the uphill and the downhill, you know, as, as one journey in the mountains. And I think so much now we think of skiing as, as a downhill sport and that's what it, what it's become with, with chairlifts and, you know, gondolas and high speed, everything, but skiing originally was, you know, a cross country sport. And now, uh, you know, we have this amazing equipment to do either, but I still have to remind myself all the time on a ski tour that every step you're taking uphill you should be enjoying instead of just thinking about how you can get it over with faster because then <laughs> you're really going to have a sad couple hours on the way up the hill <laughs> that's a good advice all right enjoy enjoy both the up and down that's very key and the journey as a full day right that's great advice. Right. cool doug this has been awesome thank you so much doug stenslick cripple creek backcountry make sure you guys click over there it is a uh, just a wealth of um tools and equipment and advice and information that we all need when we're uh, traveling in the backcountry doug thank you so much yeah thanks for having me and stay safe out there this winter i know it's gonna be a different one <laughs> thanks everybody